I, uh, again, I, I have uh, the distinct pleasure today of introducing our guest speaker today. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Caleb for stepping in last week and all the wonderful things I heard. I know that we have a, a wonderful time today. My brother Dick Williams says he's been coming to this church longer than I have. He... Uh, <clears throat> He's been since the very beginning. He has been uh, coming and ministering. A uh, very wonderful and unique ministry. And uh, again, we're just so blessed and always are very blessed with uh, the ministry, the prophetic ministry, the song, and the wonderful love. He is a dear, dear friend, a precious, precious brother in Christ, and we certainly love and appreciate him and his ministry more than we could ever uh, uh, let him know. Let him get all rigged up here. Amen. And I'm sure that Dick will uh, also make sure he takes the opportunity to introduce his wonderful wife, and Donna is traveling with him today, and so please make sure that you thank them both when you have the opportunity. But let's, uh, let's welcome our brother, Dick Williams. Thank you so much, folks. I remember my military tenure, it was 1965 through 1967, and I was looking up on the internet, one of the guys I served with, and for some reason he was drawn to me, but it was really Christ in me. But in between drawings, he was one of the worst tomcats that went down into the village to carouse and party he would come in after a night of doing his thing and playfully slap me on the boot and said Dick I was out sinning last night and it was wonderful and I'm thinking Woody I'm going to keep praying for you I looked him up on the internet and he had recently passed away but his obituary or memorial read of what a wonderful worship leader he had become in his church and had orchestrated worship conferences throughout the whole city of Tillamook, Oregon and had been celebrated by numerous pastors who was passing. You know, I just thought, we don't, and I'm, I'm sure there were others who sowed seeds in sequence into his life. I got the telephone number of his widow and called. I didn't tell what he did in the army, but I celebrated him as my friend in a band of brothers in the natural, in the military. I've got several such stories. I'm so grateful for 32 years of full-time itinerant ministry. Before that, 20 years of pastoral my wife Donna has been with me every step of the way and has often said things to steady me when I stumbled. <laughs> I'm 81 years old, of sound mind, and I'll tell you, there's nothing that will sustain your mental capacities like meditating on the Word of God there are transfusions of the truth and he grants us longevity and mental muscle and efficiency 
and all glory be unto him. This is a song that kind of celebrates 32 years of itinerating. Looking in my rearview mirror Down the road I've been Thinking on his faithfulness Time and again The storms that blew He saw me through When it felt like I might die When feelings raged He calmed the waves in gratefulness I cry Pure faith, simple faith Resting in His righteous ways Leaning on His pure and powerful word Pure faith, holy faith Embraced by arms of grace Wrapping my heart around the good things that I've heard Down the pike of life I travel Sometimes storm clouds form I can look ahead in the light of what he said When strong winds blow his inner glow Keeps me safe and warm In the night watch he's the fortress Camped around my bed Pure faith, simple faith Resting in his righteous ways Leaning on his pure and powerful word Pure faith, holy faith, embraced by arms of grace, wrapping my heart around the good things that I've heard. A little bit of prophetic perspective of what we're going to see with intensity in the next two or three years. And let me tell you, with the tremors of the times, he is training our feet to stand on the rock that is immovable. Not one iota or jot or tittle is subtracted from his promises and the ability to sustain and keep and bless us. It's so important to stand on the stability of the solidity of the Lordship of Jesus and build the house that is our life based on what he has said and what's elaborated and extrapolated on in the epistles beyond the Gospels. The Lord is not going to waver from the trajectory that he established in ordaining and established this nation as a city on a hill. Yeah, we've had our national sins and some pretty disastrous detours. But he has collected the prayers of the interceding remnant 
and is getting ready to pour those forth and it's already started with a third great awakening. I am seeing statements of it, nuances of change all over the place. We travel all over the West. It's going to be like a network of various channels. You'll flip on one and you're going to see not revolution that overthrows the government, but you're going to see revolt. You're going to see people of all political stripes that are just not going to be mandated at the expense of their constitutional endowments and endowments. Parents rising up, coming against the twistedness and the brainwashing rather than teaching our children how to think. You're going to see innovation in education coming up creatively directed by the Lord as alternatives. Stay tuned. You're going to see revolt. I saw a marvelous demonstration already beginning in California. I went from uh, 500 people beach baptism to a huge multitude of thousands on the steps of the city, or rather the state capital in Sacramento, of parents and students and teachers. There is a tremendous contingency in our military that's going to realize that is beyond our Constitution to expect an order to be carried out that is in violation of that Constitution. And along with revolt, we're going to see the necessity of moral absolutes in order to form bounds for behavioral functioning that sustains a republic. But in seeing righteousness established, eyes are going to begin to develop to the king of righteousness because people realize they can't keep those in their heart. They can relegate their behavior and there's going to be a hungering and a thirsting, a conviction and a revelation of the Lord of righteousness and a massive harvest of souls because along with the revolt, there's going to be demonstration of the revelation of praise and worship in the streets, planned flashes going on in malls, after church restaurants breaking forth in whole corners of worship and praise that will dominate the atmosphere. Get ready, fasten your seat belts. That's one kind of a dichotomy. <laughs> and on the other hand, get moving in the flow of his restful buoyancy and purity and power of the Christ who lives in you and through you. You're going to see natural catastrophes. But God is going to be able to preserve in the midst of that in the quaking fault lines of an aging globe. 1906, when the Azusa Revival cut loose in a little dirt floor church and enveloped us as a nation, 1906, the same year of the San Francisco earthquake. And that was a spark that had jumped over from the Welsh Revival that was similar. This is global, what we're going to see. He saves the best wine for last, and it's going to be a stroke of his terrible swift sword 
bringing judgment on the demonic and those that insist on wrapping their hearts around the demonic, but also hitting the hackles of chains of folks and liberating multitudes to move in the ever-growing company of the redeemed. What a time to be alive. Isaiah declared it. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed And all flesh shall see it together And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it Folks, it's preparation and you may be given to storage of all manner of things. There's people in different degrees that are operating in that, and some will serve others in that way. But it is very important to store up the word and the depths of your heart like never before. That is the best possible preparation for what's coming. And that's what we're going to consider, however briefly this morning. When King Jesus Christ came into our hearts, our spirit that had been deep, dark, and sin-driven because it had been stillborn due to the inheritance of Adam's failure, when we received him, he entered our spirit. And it suddenly became illumined with the Lord of light, and we were endued with a new nature created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. That's Ephesians 4.14. Don't amble into this area of two natures, that spiritual, religious schizophrenia. <laughs> now, you may say, what about the flesh? That's no longer our bottom line nature. It is a condition that we deal with by yielding to the spirit and seeing the cross applied and crossing out the flesh. It used to be our nature. It's now a house the old man haunts. You could call it his clone however in essence you are created in righteousness holiness of the truth your legal standing is before him in sinless blamelessness not because of anything we did but because we embraced our failure honestly and authentically and embraced the grace of the perfect one who died on our behalf to position us to receive and yet resurrected and in recognition by faith of his resurrected conquest, we were bestowed with his righteousness in exchange. 1 Corinthians 5, down 20 and 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in us. It was imputed grace by God. As we lay aside our religiosity on the right and our rebellion on the left, and embrace the fact that irrespective of the washouts and the creeps and creepettes and creepuses we were prior to knowing the Lord, we stood condemned because we were born condemned. Jesus came and stepped out of history, the second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God, and went to the cross, rose again, and ascended, placing the blood of the mercy seat. And on our behalf, 
sent forth the Holy Spirit as the revelator of the Son of Glory, who is the perfect replication of the patriarchal tenderness of Daddy, Lord, Abba, Father, and got our attention through someone that witnessed, through someone that prayed and drew us, and we saw supernatural reality but was accompanied with supernatural faith. We didn't have to exercise it, but we chose to exercise it, and we received him as Lord and Savior, and there was a revolution in our spirit. Now, at that point, our soul, our personality, the unique chemistry of how we think, feel, and choose resembled a cross between a soap opera and a train wreck. <laughs> our spirit has been saved. Our soul is in the process of being saved, that is, liberated, and that's happening as we learn to draw from the depth of spirit and truth that he has placed in the depths of our spirit by feeding our spirit. It can't be defiled, it can be neglected, but inhaling the breath of the word and exercising it in worship, the proskuneo of praise toward God, drawing our heart, the depths of our desire to where our treasure is as our spirit and heart would function in one and there would be waves of life transfusing our soul regularly because it needs to and a progressive liberty to cause our soul to prosper. The definition of a prospering soul is coming into God's designated destiny and having the capacity to reflect and reveal his glory in earthen vessels. And there's a cooperation with us. There's a seeking and a finding on a regular basis. And as we seek in ever-increasing dimensions, we discover the love of God, the mercy of God, the power and might of the Lord, the grandeur of his majesty. And he's a God who plays hide-and-seek, just like daddies play hide-and-seek. But he doesn't make himself unfindable. You played hide-and-seek with your children. And you hid in such a way to where you knew they could find you, but it took some effort on their part. And you could begin to hear the pitter-patter of those little feet, and they could begin to sense out what you did. Maybe you made a little twitch or a movement under the quilt or comforter or a, a little sigh or something. And they discovered you, and you had a moment of laughter and joy together. That's how God is. Song of Solomon. She's living in self-imposed winter. The beloved, the picture of the bride in Song of Solomon chapter 2, beginning long about, uh, oh, the middle of that chapter. And she's just anguishing in a self-imposed winter. But she sees him bounding down the hill, the mountain, and anointed it gently, leaping, the voice of my beloved, Lo, he comes, leaping upon the mountain, skipping upon the plains, comes right up to the window, and she immediately gets up and starts putting on her makeup and setting up a table with two teacups, but he's not interested in coming into where she's at. She goes to the window, and now he's at the lattice, kind of winking flirtatiously at her. Come away, my beloved. 
For lo, the winter is past in perpetual new life of spring. See the color, smell the fragrance, hear the music in the air. Let me take you up into the heights. We will rest in the clefts of the rock to where you'll see how utterly dead you are to the old and how alive you are to the new. And you're identifying with my death, burial, and resurrection. And you'll begin to dance. Let me see your face. Let me see your form. For it's lovely and sweet as he begins to lead us into the heights. But there is seeking on our part. Seeking, I'd do a soft shoe to that if I could. That's my <laughs> wife's phone. They're playing our song. Aren't you glad the anointing is not so fragile? I heard somebody's phone go off at a wedding once, but thankfully it was Handel's Messiah. <laughs> oh, glory to God. There is some digging involved on our part. It's the meditation of excavation that is digging through the strata of our soul in its woundedness, in its resistance, in some of its religious caricatures, and ignoring those things, and digging, and into the depths discovering that artesian well that rises in a gusher of transfusions and progressively begins to set our solical being free. When he saved us, it was complete salvation. It was salvation that redirected our eternal destiny with the assurance of heaven. It was moral salvation from the power of sin as the law of the spirit of life has set me free, you and I free from the law of sin and death. And as we rest and rely, even recklessly giving ourselves over to the buoyancy of his risenness, we rise above the gravity of sin's power, sin's penalty already having been canceled. It's mental salvation and deliverance. Love, power, and a sound mind, Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.7. It's emotional release and relief as he sets its as liberty, those that are bruised within. It's vocational salvation. He prepares us for a particular function it may be in the entrepreneurial world. It may be in the political world. It may be in media. Maybe in education. Maybe in sports, professional sports for a season. But the variety of invasiveness that is starting to move and advance into the sectors of secular society that we're starting to see a tremendous demonstration, yes, It'll coexist with darkness, but the darkness will be stripped away and the stinking evil that was covert will be exposed with an opportunity to repent. But at times there will be those that will, with gnashing of teeth, despise the redeemed. And lo, great darkness will cover the earth, but arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has arisen and is adorning you as you are torchbearers and light carriers into secular society. But there's a preparation and a seeking on our part. Seeking 
is desire plus discipline with expectation of discovering him in ever-increasing dimensions and being liberated from glory to glory in our solical being. As everything that Jesus has is ours, it's revealed by the Spirit in John 16, 13, but then that same Spirit says, I'm going to lead you all truth into the experience, expression, and enjoyment of that, not without testing, There'll be areas and blockages that need to be repented of, religious caricatures, tendencies toward self-centeredness. Oh, but it's worth the journey. The confrontation as we embrace it with repentance is resultant in liberation. Praise the name of the Lord. Isaiah 12, 3, a foreshadowing, a declaration. Therefore shall you draw Water from the wells, plural, of salvation. That's the manifold dimensions of the salvation we have. And in that day shall you say, praise the Lord. Romans 5.10 says we have been justified through his death. We have been positioned in perfect righteousness. And we shall be ongoingly liberated by his life, which rises like an artesian well, because we have been digging and discovered and there is a release that begins to saturate our soul in regular doses of Holy Ghost saturation in the ongoing progressive liberation that fulfills us and blesses us. He's pulling for us. John 30, or rather Psalms 35, 27, magnify the Lord who delights in the prosperity of his servant And in John's epistle, the third one, I would above all that you prosper. I pray and would above all that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Some people say, well, that was just John wishing his uh, brother just blessing. Hey, he prayed. And prayer is Holy Ghost directed. And out of prayer comes the bestowal And that's been my prophetic function, is delivering care packages of encouragement to people and citing the good things that the Lord has deposited, that those things might be encouraged forth into demonstration and in no wise shaming people and underscoring your pain. I've been criticized and called an Uncle Tom prophet because of it, but I know my job description and I stay with it. And I refuse to browbeat the bride. Hallelujah. Numbers 21:17 provides a marvelous picture as Israel is rehearsing in the wilderness the deliverance of God that sustained them with water and it pictures the nobles that is princes that carries over into the New Testament that we have been appointed and anointed as kings and priests and royalty. And what are they doing? They've got their staves, which is symbolic of the scepter of authority. We have been given the authority and anointing to understand spiritual mysteries. And what are they doing with the staves? They are hitting the ground because there is the discernment that they are on this marvelous, gigantic aquifer that's going to be released in a gusher of wells. And they're persevering that. That's you and I with the excavation of meditation 
with the rod of what we know and way of promise and statement and provision and we are spending time with the Lord and we are digging. We are investigatively, anointedly, analytical and we are saying, Lord, I want what I know to be underscored and liquefied as revelatory flow and what I have might be experienced and expressed in the Lord. Therefore shall you draw water from the wells of salvation, and that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, a kingdom of priests, kings and priests, appointed anointed royalty through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, sharing in his inheritance, which is life in common with the king, and all of the freedom that it entails. And we begin to find that there are pockets where we need deliverance. One is a proneness toward depression. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. We see a huge epidemic of depression through blasted hopes and dreams, and it's been because of the deception of misplaced trust. It's written... That's Jeremiah 17, 5. Cursed is he that trusts in man, that trusts in the flesh. I know some brilliant believers who have natural abilities in business that have taken it upon themselves to use their best and anointed and have seen it boomerang and have been wounded through hope deferred and just derailed into a state of depression. I've seen ministries anointed and appointed with marvelous spiritual abilities. They realized their weaknesses. His power became perfect in their weakness, but they said, hey, I'll take it from here and lapsed off into self-trust and crashed and burned in their ministries, had proverbial Humpty Dumpty falls, were shattered, fallen off the wall, but when they repented, the Lord was there with Holy Ghost super glue and renewed their horizons of hope Hope is an encouraging expectation concerning the future. You see those horizons, and in the dawning of the light, concrete steps forward into coming into promise. And we begin to declare with our staves, excavation of meditation. Lord, I say you have brought me into a hope and a future. According to Jeremiah 29, 11, and yet there's a stipulation to seek you with my whole heart. Excavation of meditation. I begin to declare it in a spirit of praise as the nobles in the desert sang to the well. Lord, I sing to you as the hope personified, the light on my horizon. I see I have a hope and a future. When initially someone shared with me when I was suicidal, I was a student at UCLA, when the director of Campus Crusade for Christ looked at me through the steam of afternoon coffee, says, Dick, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. He completely absorbed and arrested my attention and gave me the gospel. And on the heels of that, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and was no longer derailed with suicidal tendencies, but had the hope of eternal glory of heaven 
but in Ruth the unfolding of a wonderful plan, a hope and a future that he had for me. And in the climate of hope and a future, faith congeals and becomes substance. Faith, the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the evidence of things yet unseen. I'm doing, I'm living my dream even now. I went through seasons of preparation of things that seemed like east and west from what I'm doing, but there was preparation now. I remember of doing pick and shovel work on a landscape crew, knowing I had a call on my life, and the Lord burned out of me the twisted desire to be a Christian celebrity. Now at age 81, I am in no danger of dying young or becoming a Christian celebrity. <laughs> Listen, those guys that have been anointed with notoriety, I appreciate them and receive from them. I receive greatly from Andrew Womack, from Robert Morris, and um, uh, others that are out there. Bill Johnson, my goodness. Um, even battling a situation, a malady in my body as I speak. I've seen many healings in me and through me at the time, but I'm battling this, and it's been with longevity, and I heard Bill say, faith brings results, but faith with patience brings results and character. Yeah. Hallelujah. So be encouraged if it's been a long battle for you. There's breakthrough imminent, and don't waver from your decree that by his stripes I have been healed and he is ushering me in to an appointment with a manifestation. I've already had some words of knowledge in that regard uh, there at uh, Riverhouse Fellowship in Boise, which is mostly millennials and it's kind of Bethel Boise is what it is. I never I thought I would see such a congregation in Boise, Idaho but it's something that has materialized in five years from 10 people to about seven or 800. And they've got revival groups, pockets of smaller groups where authenticity is developed and a functioning in the gifts. The worship has a depth and simplicity about it and a, just a beauty. And it's transgenerational. It's mostly millennials, but Gen Xers are joining it and you can see a sprinkling of gray heads like my own in there they begin to ask for various people anybody and they finally got to anybody over 60 stand up and we were a minority they didn't go any further than that or I could have kept standing up oh hallelujah God's good deliverance from depression renewed with a hope and a future and the solidity of faith that forms, but there's an excavation of meditation, of the scepter, of the authority of the word in the hands of appointed, anointed princes and princesses that begin to come through the hard crust of the strata of our souls and begin to strike that marvelous artesian well that Jesus prophesied of at the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, anybody thirsty, let him come to me and drink as he was prophesying of the spirit that was to come and inhabit and convey the very buoyancy, force and flow and purity and power of the Son of God within us. And as we honor him, 
the Father makes the abode in us. And the Spirit isn't restricted to these bodies of ours, although he indwells us and makes us his temple. My physical eyes can look down the aisle beyond where my physical body is. My mind can imagine the hotel we're going to be hosted in uh, for our evening service there in Roy, Utah. We've been there a number of times before, and I can see that in my mind's eye now beyond where my physical eyes are. But my spirit can envision you and I together in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. When Paul said, I'm with you in spirit, he wasn't just speaking clichéically with a nice thought. I've had times of people's bedside and they were anguishing and there was warfare going on. A friend of ours who just went through a tremendous body, a battle with the COVID and came through it. And Donna and I were there in spirit as his bedside, and it was amazing the detail that I was envisioning and seeing happen there. Tremendous miracles, angelic visitations, encounters. My friend Pastor Ernie Cotta in um, Visalia, California. Ernie, just a solid pastor, mainly Latino, his congregation. He was getting a hip replacement and the guy has never been on pharmaceuticals ever at age 72. And again, there's some, there's no condemnation if you are for one reason or another for a season, but he never meant it to be a life support of in hopelessness waiting around to die. Ernie, when he was coming out of the sedation they gave him, they gave him a opiate, a painkiller. He'd never had anything like that. His blood pressure suddenly plunged and the machinery in the room there flatlined and the staff that had seen that scenario before it just sighed in depression Ernie said I felt my spirit leaving my body toward this beautiful light but his little wife which is about a five foot nothing and hardly ever raises her voice Charlotte he said he could hear her practically screaming in the background. In the name of Jesus Christ, Ernie Connor, you get back into this body. You're not leaving me alone down here. And he said it was like magnetism. My spirit re-entered my body. The hospital staff that had sighed with a sense of tragedy before were now scared spitless. They had seen someone raised from the dead. Glory to God yes. for faith, the declaration, the confession of what is revelatory in the heart now released into tangible reality as God pounces on the word and watches over it to perform it. Delivered from oppression, having been bullied into helplessness, criticized, shamed, praise the name of the Lord. The Lord begins to speak to us and say, you don't have to be bullied. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Romans 16, 20. You are an enforcer of Calvary's finished work and victory. You are walking on the devil and you're going to begin to feel the snap crackle of his spine as you're walking in harmony with the God of peace who's absolutely secure in his ability 
and he will crush Satan under your feet, which is the body of Christ and an extension of the very feet of the one who is using us to make his enemies his footstool. Very often, folks under the oppression and helplessness of having been bullied into submission turn to addiction to numb their noggin through a substance or a practice, and the Lord is invasively invading those citadels and hitting the hackles on their heels. There's a repenting of the idolatry of a practice or a substance. Very often, the residue of bondage is still there. There may be a season of three steps forward, two steps backward, but the Lord is orchestrating a walk through the rubble to the freedom on the other side. He may use a Christ-centered support group. He may even sustain you through, or I, through, and I've had an addiction in my past, through AA, which is basically a sustaining religion, but you can't keep standing up saying, my name's Dick, I am this or that or the other. The Lord is redefining us as former this or that and the other. And that might keep you afloat. I don't disdain AA. A good friend of mine works for them. But it's treading water until the helicopter of the Lord extends that rope ladder down to walk up and rise above that and to where we are no longer harassed and haunted and condemned by a horrible habit or a practice of darkness of some kind. Good friend of mine, solid citizen in the Lord, had had a problem with pornography and was dramatically delivered from a confrontation unto conviction, unto liberation. And his wife stood by him when she saw it, and their marriage is functioning beautifully these days, not without some bumps in the road. There are four high-level ministries that have tested a testimony through the internet of the early years of their ministry of having a compartmentalized addiction. Mm -hmm. And it's right there for public consumption. Mm -hmm. James Robinson had a horrible problem with lust when he was considered uh, his organization's best preacher. Struggled with it. Robert Morris, the same. Kenneth Copeland had a compulsive eating disorder. When I first met Kenneth in 1969, he only goes about 5'7", five, 5'8", five, but he weighed probably 240 pounds. And yet he was preaching the liberty of the word of faith and seeing people touched would retreat out to his car and eat a whole chocolate pie that his mom had sent him from uh, Fort Worth. He later recognized that confrontively. John Bevere, prolific writer, had had a problem with pornography as his ministry was starting to reach a certain profile. But the Lord intervened, said, John, I'm having you hit a wall. It's a wake-up call. I love you too much to let that continue. And he looked to the Lord in helplessness, cast himself upon God, and God began to walk him through and out of that. And it's a testimony that he transparently renders in these days. I had a struggle in the early years of my ministry with alcohol. And I can remember of going through just the horror 
of going from a five, uh, a, a, a physical, uh, rather uh, psychological, to a physical addiction, to where my hands were shaking in the morning with nausea, and I had to have a huge belt of, of cheap wine, even be able to get out of bed and have my first cup of coffee. And I remember it ended and erupted of quitting cold turkey determined. I didn't know anything about uh, things that, that would deal with withdrawals. Went through delirium tremors and a seizure and woke up with EMTs taking me to the hospital. And I said, Lord, am I finally at rock bottom? He says, yes, you are, son, but so is the rock and a journey is up from here and your best years in ministry are yet to come. Praise the Lord. If that has been somewhat uh, similar to your experience, know that God doesn't quit on you. He loves you through those things. <laughs> I love celebrating just the liberating that came. And I remember of just digging into the word in the aftermath of that and finding complete release and relief. The thought of consuming hard liquor just nauseates me <laughs> and I am very empathetic of those that are laboring under that but it began with having bullied and been oppressed and overwhelmed and tyrannized by Satan and numbing the noggin to somehow turn off the emotions and yet the Lord was there and gave promises you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you three. John eight thirty two, Excavate, meditate. The Lord wants you free. You begin to see yourself as free. You persevere in the journey, and the Lord intersects it with his enabling grace, and though you may crash and burn, he's there to put the pieces back together again. Praise the name. Too tired to fight, too crippled to run. I dreaded seeing each morning sun, yet fear the night with all its memories of tearing pain. Then Jesus came when I called his name. I clung to his cross. He took my shame, and then he picked up all the pieces of my life. He took the demons from my memory as he took my hands. Made me free in his own righteousness to stand. And now with joy my race I run with the eyes of my heart on the risen sun. It's a new day going his way. No need for strife Since Jesus picked up All the pieces Of my life Hallelujah, he's so good Excavation, meditation Striking the wellspring Of the very life of the Lord within us That rises up in the artesian well Of a gusher that saturates our soul and there's yet another chapter in release from glory to glory of the liberation of the operation of the Lord, making us free all that he's created us to be in our solical being.
and becoming a lampstand, a conduit for his glory going out through us and radiating from us. Disease. I may feel the symptoms but by his stripes. I have been set free. That's our portion. Healing the children's bread. I refuse to be ruled by my symptoms as I'm absorbed into the word. The symptoms take a back seat and they begin to recede. Our kids were struck down with the flu about three years ago. I had a ministry appointment in Haley, Idaho was to do the narrative of a nativity pageant. I'm gonna do it again this year. But suddenly the symptoms hit me, my fever went sky high, body aches. I said, honey, we're gonna get in the car and by naked faith, in spite of what I feel, we're gonna go and we checked into the um, particular hotel, I forget which one it is, they were housing us, it was the Wood River Inn. I took the, you know, the Theraflu to deal with the symptoms. But I went to bed that night and it was like my immune system now was suddenly being recharged by the Spirit as he quickens our mortal body according to Romans 8:11. And there was this knockdown struggle. I slept just below the surface and I hadn't had a good night's sleep at all. But I woke up symptom free and showed up and I had my full baritone range by that time. It was a little gravelly, but it was like the carbon being blown out of an old 1983 Plymouth Fury that I used to drive. And the next thing you know, it was function and fluidity. And nobody else knew the struggle that was going in. But by the time I was singing my solo in the narrative, I was relaxed as Perry Como. And some of you saying, who in the world is Perry Como? Look on the internet, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Set free from poverty, folks. Poverty is not spiritual, neither is greed. But the Lord wants us to have more than enough and an overflow. He wants to bless us in that regard. We may have seasons of circumstantial lack, but we can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. We can say from Philippians that the Lord shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. And then we can begin to sow and reap. Just, uh, and I'll be through momentarily. Just, it's been about uh, a couple of years now. We were closed in, laid siege to financially. The fence just fell over or was about to fall over. We had to pay to get that repaired. We went into it with our neighbor. We had back-to-back -back two plumbing disasters that weren't covered in our insurance or their interpretation of our insurance. Any of you homeowners that have tried to file a claim know what I'm talking about. It's amazing what they will cover and astounding and frightening what they won't cover. I mean, you can leave your bathtub on overnight and destroy your basement with a flood, and that can be covered. But if it's a gradual thing that is invisible to you, that suddenly begins to erupt, that's not covered. 
We were liable for thousands and thousands of dollars. The Lord said, so more bountifully than ever. So into the storehouse of ministries that have fed you and watch me work. Watch me maestro a reaping. And he did. And there were thousands of dollars that came in. It was just simply amazing. And we've been tithers and then some for years and years, but we have upped our giving to where we are way over 10%. And we just thrilled to do it. We saw a couple of young men who minister in the LGBT community. They'd been delivered from that. And as they began to give their testimony, we were so inspired and fed. Donna and I looked at one another and gave the sign, took out the checkbook, wrote them out a check for $500, and we immediately reaped the joy of it. And the Lord replenished it. Someone that we knew only casually came up and as we were leaving a little town, a little bird in central Idaho asked what we owed on the balance of our car and said, you'll get a check for that in three days. And we did. We'd been making extra payments on the principal. You know, when you are in traveling ministry, you need a late model car that's dependable. If I was pastoring, personally, what I would do is find a one-owner car that had 100,000 miles on it and researched it like a Honda or a Toyota and paid them cash for it and driven it around town till the wheels fell off. You know, that's just kind of how I look at it. Not that it has to be that way. You may have been putting money aside and can put a sizable down payment on them, fairly minuscule payments. But the Lord wants us out of debt. And we're getting there by degrees. We're just about there. And it feels good. And we are enjoying giving. And we are seeing a return Financially, this was our best year ever in the ministry. The year before, we learned we were out of commission for two months due to the COVID, no ministry anywhere. It was amazing the way it came in. Oh, God's so good. Therefore shall you draw water from the wells, plural, of salvation. And the manifold deliverance of God over depression, oppression, disease, and poverty, we begin to strike those wells from the excavation of meditation, of declaring the word, the truth, the promises of God, and responding obediently to the Spirit. And there are breakthroughs in the rising of the gusher on a regular basis. And the next thing you know, those wells are there to be drank from, and we just celebrate and we draw from it. But even overnight, the enemy can sometimes put dirt back in there. You need to excavate again. And some people have neglected their spirit for so long. There's rocks in the well. But hey, don't be disheartened. He's in the business of rock removal and excavation through declaration and meditation and singing to that well, knowing that you are sons and daughters of the king. You are royalty and striking those reservoirs that fathomless aquifer of the spirit of God within you that begins to rise and flow through the conduits of your gaze your attitude and actions to a thirsty hurting world even in the darkest of days 
radiating his light in stark contrast to the darkness of hell invading earth. Oh, but there's a heavenly invasion going on. It began on Pentecost, but the Lord doesn't want it to be just invasive, but pervasive. Hallelujah. And you are anointed, appointed agents in that regard. The church is not the kingdom, but is essential as being the conduit of the kingdom in exporting heaven invading earth into the community at large. God bless that to your hearts and souls this morning. Well, let's thank our brother for coming and ministering. <laughs> powerful word. A very, very powerful word. I am so thankful for the very uh, uh, anointed and blessed and unique ministry of our brother and for coming and ministering to us, and we're so thankful for him. Will you all stand to your feet with me? And we'll, uh, let's, let's pray as we go out in a voice of praise. Amen. Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you and we thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to lift up, to pray for, and to uh, declare, Father God, the victorious continuation of your ministry over our brother Dick and Donna. As they go forth, Lord God, we pray that they would go forth in power and might, that they would go forth, Lord, to continue to do what you have called them to do. And I pray, Lord God, for the encouragement that would come to the hearts of each and every one that's here today. If there's any that do not know you, Lord, draw them to yourself. Let them Father God, call out to you in this time. Let them declare, Lord God, the nature of sin in them and that, Father, they are helpless without you. God, I pray that you would move into those places into the, the call, Lord God, of those who are crying out in their hearts, Father, for your help, for your healing, for your wholeness, that you, Lord God, would bring your salvation to the hearts of those who call out. I pray that today, Lord God, that you would Use my brother's words. Use, Father God, the anointing that would break every yoke of bondage and every wall that would be, Father, stand against your kingdom from coming into the hearts of those in need. Lord, open the doors. Make a way. Bring down the walls. Let your grace be found in those who don't deserve it but choose to trust you. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would open also the hearts of those who are called to minister to those, Lord, with gifts, those that you have called, Father God, to go out and to stand, Father, to do and to trust you as you call them into places of ministry where they are or maybe they'd be vocational. And I pray, God, that you would do just that. Let your body be encouraged, lifted up, and blessed. As we thank you, Lord, we praise you. We praise you today. We praise you. Come on, church, let's praise him. Let's take a moment to lift him up and sing praise.
right, church, now listen. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. So I want you to go out there and go be the church. Go be the light. Go be the salt. Go be what God has called you to be. God bless you all. Have a beautiful day. Go in grace and peace in Jesus' name. God bless you all. to